You're listening to Dynamo's Dust. Now let's welcome your host, Ian Dynamo Kelly. Welcome to Dynamo's Dozen, the podcast that I bring you each and every single week where I talk about whatever may be on my mind from pro wrestling, sports, entertainment, music, movies, musically, fresh socks and jocks and everything in between, never forgetting the talc. And today, once again, we're talking in the world of mysteries because I am joined by the host of what has become one of my favorite podcasts, Mr. Paul Bestoff from Mysteries and Monsters, an amazing podcast that is uh, available anywhere you listen to your favorite audio, also available on Patreon, um, which Paul will go through uh, momentarily. He covers the the world of the weird and the wonderful, mainly, I suppose, with uh, lake monsters, Sasquatch, Dogman UFOs, all that kind of stuff. But Milton is out of bounds with this man, that's for sure. And uh, Paul, it is my pleasure to welcome you to the show, sir. No, well, thank you, Ian. And as, as I said, whilst we were briefly chatting, thank you very much for the invitation. It's very kind and, and you were very kind about me there. So uh, it is graciously appreciated. Thank you. Absolutely. You have had, uh, you've had, you've had some amazing guests on your show. Actually, some of my favorite people, um, mm. of course, of course, Ron Moorhead, who I've had on yes. the show recently enough as well. Um, ah. had a lot of good things to say about you as well um a man with a deeper voice than me as i said to him on the show <laughs> i was like dude you gotta have you gotta have a radio show a radio show non-stop so i can just fall asleep <laughs> oh yeah, not in like a bad way. velvet <laughs> yeah like, like not velvet, in a bad way you know he's just got, he's just gonna read you your favorite bedtime stories right <laughs> oh, yeah it's fabulous i could listen to ron talk all day i know exactly what you mean Absolutely. And um, we followed him up with Todd Standen, by the way, which we can have a conversation yes. later because uh, a lot of controversy around Paul, uh, around Todd, should I say, but um, been super nice to me and uh, quite an interesting guy as well. And, you know, a lot of people may think he's uh, probably a bit crazy or whatever, but he's he's got what could be some of the best uh, best evidence of Sasquatch out there, too. So it's um, it's a very, very interesting subject. I'm sure we'll get onto that. But why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and about the show from, and tell my listeners uh, how they can find you and what it's all about. Yeah, so uh, Mysteries and Monsters is essentially a conversational show where I have the best and the brightest from around the world discussing a variety of topics. And as you referred to earlier, we do a, a lot on cryptozoology. So we've done Bigfoot, uh, Lake Monsters, strange wing creatures, mm-hmm. curious cryptids from around the world. Uh, we've done UFOs, done a lot of ghosts, alien abductions. So we've we've kind of covered most topics. We've done a bit of weird history, strange artifacts. So, uh, yeah, there's uh, there's not many topics I've not delved into. So it's basically just gives me a chance to 
to speak to some of my favourite authors and investigators from around the world. And uh, that just makes my job very easy, really. <laughs> so um, it's um, been going about two and a half years. Um, I just decided to start it as a, as a one-man show, which it is, essentially is just me, um, after sort of mulling it over for, a, for the best part of the year previous to joining it. And it's just grown from strength to strength in that period. And um, next week, we, we hit our 150th episode, which is quite remarkable, really. Awesome. Awesome. It's nice when you kind of break that little kind of barrier for yourself, those little small goals that you set out for yourself <laughs> and you kind of start breaking them bit by bit. You kind of uh, you kind of got to give yourself a little pat on the back, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I started, you know, I was hoping to get to 25. So uh, I think we've certainly surpassed that by now. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> um, we kind of said we would wing it today because we're both very interested in the world of, uh, of ufology and uh, Sasquatch. They'd be my two big ones purely because mm. I think they're the two that have a lot of weight to them. Um, you know, a lot of people will say, oh, well, the Mothman or the Dogman or the Jersey Devil or any of that kind of stuff. They'll kind of go, all right, you're, you're, you're stretching it a bit for me now. But yeah. it's still interesting conversation, right? Mm. um same with lake monsters i mean you know uh, nessie and of course um champ uh, from lake champlain and um, that yeah. one is actually probably even more intriguing than than nessie to be fair yeah um because it's a bigger bigger location and and uh quite 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 the uh quite the sightings that have been seen over there but i said um we'd start off because you you kind of have some UFO stories and stuff like that, that are particular favorites of yours that you kind of want to yeah. bring up on the show. And to be honest with you, it's one of my favorite subjects as uh, captivated <laughs> me since I was knee high to a grasshopper. So um, why don't you, why don't you take the reins from me here? Yeah. Well, I suppose being a Yorkshireman, Ian, it, it would be uh, a miss of me for not to start with probably one of my favorite UK ones, which is uh, the incident that affected PC Alan Godfrey in mm. November 1980, which has always been a very interesting case. Um, Alan's always been a very credible person. I mean, he's 73 now. Yeah. So he's spent over half of his life sort of discussing this strange incident that occurred to him. Um, and it is one of those things that when I've started doing the show, I've started going on little pilgrimages around the UK. So I have been to Todd Morden and stood where Alan had his encounter on that road on that night at five, I think it was about 5 a.m. Mm. And he'd been sent out because there'd been a, a number of calls in regards to a, a, a herd of loose cows wandering around the town, causing old people uh, problems and eating flowers and hedgerows and things like that. So and this isn't drunk I'll, old women, by the way, we're talking about literal no. cows. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it was basically just um, a, a very mundane you know, rural northern town incident, as as often would involve cows of some description, I would suggest. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Especially late at night at that time. So yeah. Alan was just going round and it was his, I think it was his last thing he was going to do before finishing the night shift and going home. And um, as he was driving around looking for these cows, um, which strangely enough, there is a, a, a strange end note to that part of the story. As he was driving around, he passed the local bus was picking people up on the way to work and drove off yeah. and as he was coming down the road this ball of light just appeared in front of him spinning around and around and he was shocked he, could, he didn't know what was going on 
And as often happens in UFO encounters, he tried his radio, was dead. The car wouldn't start. So he got out his little police notebook, sketched what it was, and it's kind of like a, a, a horizontal diamond shape that he drew at the time. And then the next thing, he's 50 yards down the road. And he's like, what's going on there? Um, and he'd lost, I think he'd lost between 25 minutes and 30 and half an hour. And he couldn't place what had happened to him. And he was all a bit befuddled by it. Of course. And that, I suppose, starts probably Yorkshire's most infamous UFO encounter. It's crazy, isn't it? Because we've, we've heard some of the cases, obviously, around, you know, we always just... Uh, we always think of the, the ones that have happened in the States or obviously the one that happened in the UK also at the army barracks and um, the famous encounter. Um, that Rendlesham. Know, Rend yeah. But, but you know, when there's so many stories from the likes of Chile and Mexico, especially mm. in South America and Bolivia. Yeah. And you're like, you hear people of losing like three and four hours of time. And then you hear people losing like maybe 10 minutes of time and going, I just saw something and now I'm here, like what's, what's happening. So that's kind of one of those situations. And I'm sure, I'm sure the officer probably thought to himself, like, am I losing my mind here? What's, what's going on? You know what I mean? Just mm. going out to fix a bunch of cows and all of a sudden you see this kind of <laughs> crazy ball of light standing in front of you. And I mean, it was, so he, he remembered exactly what he saw, but then he couldn't obviously remember the aftermath, yeah. what happened in no. between. Yeah, that was it. That basically, and and that's what kind of set it all off from, from the the normal explanations really. Um, and going back to the cows as well, the cows were discovered um, later that morning inside a locked field, but nobody knew. The cows couldn't have jumped in. They couldn't have got in. It was completely locked. So they were just found inside a a. I think they were inside a, a rugby pitch. Wow. And the gate was locked. It was padlocked. And there was no way for the cows to have got in unless one of them had a key, which we all know, you know, <laughs> cows not are it. not known for their uh, safe breaking abilities. No. Yeah. So um, I'm not sure what went on, but that was always one of the weird little things about that story that often gets overlooked is the fact that the cows were found inside a locked uh, playing field, which they couldn't have got in unless they were dropped in, it would seem. Yeah, absolutely. Um any kind of any kind of other strange ones, or do we want to touch on some of the some of the more famous ones? Because you've obviously talked to a lot of people um, yeah. that would have had experience with the likes of Roswell, for example. And I'm sure a lot of my listeners do enjoy, you know, the downloads and the views that we get. Are generally show that a lot of people kind of sneak in to watch a show because it's not pro wrestling, but they see UFO or they see something <laughs> a little bit weird, and they go, "Okay, I'm going to stop by to watch that." Um, yeah, you've talked to a number of people on the uh, on the Roswell incident, um, and that's that's kind of the one. I mean, it's the biggest. It's it's the coup de gras, right? Um, yeah, yeah. What, what's it is remarkable. Just it, it it's remarkable, Ian, because I find it. I still, as much as I love this subject, I I find it remarkable that the, that there is still such a real appetite for mm. something that happened. The 40s. You know, 70, 74 years ago, yeah. July, beginning of July 1947. But I think yeah. it's that it's that kind of golden age of the UFO, you know, late 40s, early 50s, when when, you know, according to American newspapers and reporters, they were everywhere. You know, the, the skies above the US were awash 
with alien visitations. And, and, and Roswell, I think, is one of those because it, it kind of encapsulates conspiracies, government cover-ups, crashed aliens being recovered, people being forced to change their stories, claims of coffins being made yes. for little aliens. Yeah. Um, and it's it's a strange one, Roswell, because it had a, a, a massive kind of explosion at the time for sort of two or three days because it obviously hit the newspapers and, you know, the, the famous, you know, the famous. US Air Force recovers crash saucer. Yeah. And then within 48 hours, it was like, oh, no, it's not. It's just a weather balloon. And it disappeared for, I think, 30 years. And then obviously the, the much missed Stanton Freeman um, yes. was kind of digging into it in the 70s. And he was given Jesse Marcel's contact details and rang him up. And Jesse Marcel said, you know, I've, I've carried this for 30 years. I can't hold it in anymore. And he ba that's when it basically broke, which was sort of 1977, 1978. And that's when it kind of reappeared. And, and as UFOlogy kind of trickled along through the 1980s and, and we had a couple of other big ones, Roswell just started to grow and grow yeah. and grow. And then, you know, as with most things in the 90s, Ian, the X-Files kind of just lit, ah. you know, touch paper under it and... Yeah. You know, mid nineties, everybody knew about Roswell. So that was, I mean, that's kind of my era. You know, I was born in eighty four, so like, you know, early to mid nineties. You know, you remember? Um, obviously, we had the same newspapers as you guys in the UK over in Ireland as well. And you remember, you mm. used to get those little books with them sometimes. Yes, yeah, yeah. And they would have like the you know conspiracy theories or unsolved mysteries mm. and stuff. You know, you'd have like mm. a picture of a guy in Graceland in the west wing <laughs> of elvis's house where it's like nobody's yeah. allowed in there that's gotta be him and you were kind of like whoa yeah. this is intriguing but then of course we <laughs> had the film the roswell movie as well um in the early yeah. 90s um especially and they put a lot of emphasis on the on the metal the piece of metal um, yes. that was that was recovered and obviously in one of the local shops which i heard on your mm. podcast um, yes yeah yeah that was i mean I'd, i to be honest ian i'd never heard of that report and, and, and speaking no. with it, it was really interesting because once again, it's one of those things. Because you know, as I was, I was discussing on that particular episode, there's I think there's now just over six hundred people who have come forward with a a connection or a, a a witness or were there or saw something over the years, which is remarkable. It's it, it's one of those things where because I think it plays into that whole conspiracy mindset as well. Yeah. Of, yeah. massive cover-ups and and in those days you know if the government told you to do something most people did it um otherwise you may not much has of, changed <laughs> well, yeah, you may disappear or, or uh, be told that you you know you've gone to work in canada or something yeah and nobody ever sees you again yeah. that old that old one or he's been transferred to uh, you know manitoba or something so um it's it's remarkable how that kind of plays into it all still um and the fact that obviously the, the US government covered it up for years and then in the 90s they came out and said, well, actually, what we said then wasn't true. It was this. Yes. And then everybody's like, well, hang on a minute. So you, you've admitted you lied then. So why do you expect us to believe it now? So it's kind of carried on playing it. And then obviously what's been happening over the last sort of four or five years in as well with, you know, the tic-tac videos and oh especially even recently and... even recently i was looking on um fox news tucker carlson i'm not usually yeah. a fan of fox news but i do like tucker carlson because he always has kind of strange uh kind of guests on mm. kind of they talk, cover that subject 
like they're openly talking about it now as if like it's this is this is a thing and we and it's kind of like they drip feed you bits but i do think we're the closest probably now in our lifetime to uh mm. kind of it, it's basically known one thing before we leave the roswell subject um yeah somebody that i think gets overlooked a lot and um, because they tried to discredit him um is of course the great colonel uh philip j corso who wrote mm. the book the day after roswell and i mean yeah. this is a guy who has every credential on the planet i mean anything that you could have within the military this guy had um yeah. and of course i'm sure you've seen his son is kind of carrying on his, his legacy a little bit and um, yeah. you know talked about seeing these things in caves and you know um seeing exactly what he had to take back to he, what was it he um he had to he he was the head of the one of the heads of the recovery mission so he had yeah. to bring the containers from you know a to b and he saw them he said they just look like little children and he goes and that's yeah. pretty much the um you know the the gray alien as we as we like to think that's 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 what he saw so i mean it's uh that's an amazing book for anybody that wants to read it and like go yeah. into it and think it's a crock of shit if you want but it's it's it's, it's a great <laughs> read anyway for me you know I, uh, it's very hard to find someone more credible than someone like that um, yeah. and especially he wanted to lift the lid as he knew he was kind of in his latter years and he's like i just want people to know this is this is legit yeah 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 well i mean jesse marcel often people are quite dismissive about marcel but sure people forget he was a major you know, this was yeah. a guy that had got um, uh, an outstanding military CV. He was well respected. He'd had some very high profile posts during the Second World War. You know, it wasn't just some private pretending to, to you know, chasing the fame. And obviously, you've got to remember as well, UFOs weren't weren't cool then when this all happened. You, yeah. you know, the Kenneth Arnold incident had happened about a week, two weeks beforehand. And then it just all blew up from that point onwards. So you had like two of the the main events in, in modern UFO history happening within a couple of weeks of, the, of each other. So I think often when we look back at things like that, Ian, people sometimes think, oh, well, they're doing it for the publicity or they want the celebrity. But it was, a, it was a completely unknown subject. People just didn't talk about it. And as we've seen in, in many witnesses across a variety of phenomenon, coming forwards is often a, you know, a death sentence for any career Yep. Or to be taken seriously by anybody because if people want to put you in that box of being a bit out there or or untrustworthy or a, a fantasist then people would have their lives destroyed so it's it's it, it's easy to look at it in a modern context and and miss just how groundbreaking that all was at the time and plus the fact people go oh well marcel didn't know where he was looking at he was a major i'm thinking i'm you know i'm pretty sure he know what a weather balloon looked like but I mean, you look at the people that they have tried to discredit over the course of, of that time. Um, I mean, one that really kind of stands out to me is, of course, uh, what's his name? Um, Area 51. Uh, oh, uh, Bob Lazar. Bob Lazar. I mean, yes. I, I mean, I'm sure everybody's watched his, uh, his episode with, with, um, on Joe Rogan's. Yeah. yeah. And, and watched his documentary. Things now are coming out that they have found that he was talking about in the seventies and eighties, you know, when he, when he first, you know what I mean? That he yeah. saw what he was working there in the seventies and eighties, he was able to literally draw diagrams of, of, mm. of all this stuff. And this guy is absolutely credible. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
And it's it's kind of, but he was, you know, they said he never went to this college, he never did this, he, you know, and you're like, you're looking at his documentary and he's basically making these things right in front of you. You're like, what? Yeah. So Yeah, yeah. I mean, he does, Lazar's a very interesting case, Ian, because, you know, every time you, he's one of those things, it's like Bigfoot for me, because every now and again, I'll get doubts and I'll think, nah. Don't nah. don't get yeah. down to it. No, 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 I know, but you've got to be balanced sometimes. And no, you um, do, you do, you do. And Bob Lazar's a bit like that, where you sometimes think, eh, is it is it what it really is? And then he'll say something or he'll do something, or as you say, he will clearly demonstrate a scientific knowledge that is far beyond the average person. Yes. And you just think, well, I'm I mean, I honestly don't know. I'm I'm one of those people and you know I'm not one for sitting on the fence usually but he is one of those things I can't categorically tell you one way or the other Ian whether he is yes. 100% bona fide or he is an incredible fantasist and it's it's kind of and if that, he is he's one of the best that's ever yeah, been out there. I was going to say that that kind of lends itself to how good a job was done on discrediting him from the get-go mm-hmm. or yeah. how good a an imagination as he got, you know what I mean? So I, I'm, I'm with you on that. You know what I mean? I mean, I think the likes of the likes of Dr. Stephen Greer and stuff like, I, I don't know about this guy. You know what I mean? I think he's a little bit about that because, you know, when I hear, Oh, well, and plus this is our show. I can say what I want about anybody in this show. <laughs> I, don't give a, I don't give a shit about Dr. Stephen Greer one way or the other, but you know, when I first start watching the likes of him, I was like, nah, I don't know. And, and it's like, everything oh, we've got the groundbreaking evidence and then you're you're watching his documentaries and you're like what well, you've got nothing <laughs> you've got nothing that i can't find on your podcast or you know on somebody else you know beyond the skies or somewhere in the skies you know you've got yeah. nothing different and a lot of people do try and make money off it then um one last person that we'll talk about in the ufo world of course uh, which a lot of the uh, the flat earthers try to uh, try to uh, claim as one of their own, of course, was Admirable Bird, mm. who is probably literally one of the most credible um, sources of any information in the history of American, uh, you know, military and especially pilots, like the number one yeah. pilot probably in U- U.S. history for the time, and talks about going over the Antarctica and, you know, seeing a life beyond the Antarctica and stuff, and obviously saying that it was something to do with kind of an alien life force and stuff and was brought in and he wasn't talking about little greys i think he was talking about mm. the nord the nordics i think wasn't it or yes. the Nords they, they call um but i mean this guy really difficult to, to discredit this guy other than just saying oh well he got dementia on his last day of work <laughs> you know yeah 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 i mean it is i think it, it it's very interesting that it's it's peculiar that there's only been so many up and you know up until fairly recently, Ian, who have been brave enough or had the balls to kind of stand up and say, oh, "Well, I don't really care what happens to me. I'm just going to tell you what it is." Um, and you, it 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 is really interesting when you come across people like that, uh, and it 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 less more so probably in the 70s and 80s they kind of seemed to completely disappear off the map. There was nobody mm. official shall we say, and I hate using rabbit ears, official coming forwards to kind of say, oh, well, I've, I've got experience about this. It seemed to completely be suppressed or whatever. I don't know what was going on. But 
you had several people throughout the fifties and sixties, like we said, and, and birds, another one who, who kind of just went, well, I don't give a damn what anybody thinks. I'm going to tell you what I know. I'm going to tell you what I've seen. It's real. This is going on. And they just don't want you to know about it. And it is one of those things, because I think if, if we've learned anything in the last two years, you know, people just won't believe a lot of things unless they, you know, unless they either suffer from something or they see it with their own eyes and they just don't believe it. And it's, it's remarkable that we seem to have got to this point where sometimes the truth just doesn't matter anymore. And I think it's interesting when we, when we look at that in a cultural context about how it is now to compare to how it is, how it was then, clearly there was a lot of sort of black ops and suppression going on, mm-hmm. you know, prime example of that as we as we say before we wrap up ufos is that you know the american government had consistently said after they shut project blue book down they had zero interest in collating reporting saving any ufo reports we now know that that's complete nonsense that you know they continued to collect them to the point that they realized that something else was going on and that's why eight it was then set up as the latest incarnation of whatever so when you go back to them telling us that Roswell was a weather balloon, you think, well, why should we believe people that have consistently lied about this subject for the best part of 80 years? And and, and everything, you know, like this is what people <laughs> forget about the American government. I mean, they, they basically, they lied about Vietnam. They lied about yeah. weapons of mass destruction. You know, like there is no end to what they can kind of make you believe. And then as you oh. say, people fall back in line. And then they they wait for confirmation from their superiors. I hate doing rabbit ears too. <laughs> on, on to, and then when they get told it's true, it's like, oh, really? What's yeah. going on? But um, yeah. no, I do agree. Um, what do you what, what would you like to cover next? Would you like to would you like to chat a bit about lake monsters, or would you want to go straight into Sasquatch Bigfoot? Hey, yeah, you're the host. You're the guest. You so the you're the guest. So I'll <laughs> let you. I'll let you pick. You want to you want to tell a couple of lake monster stories or anything that you've heard yeah. from some of your interesting guests because for me it's it's something that i haven't really looked at since i was a kid and i don't mean that to sound mm. condescending in any way shape or form but it's something i've yeah, revisited yeah, yeah. it listening on your show so um mm. yeah the yeah, spooks yeah. from no the no problems yeah. yeah i mean the thing like you said earlier champ's probably my favorite yeah because it's such a big body of water <laughs> you know and 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 i think often the problem with the perception of late monsters is everybody thinks, still thinks it's dinosaurs, you know, yes. because of that picture of Nessie and everything. Yeah. And, and obviously I've got, is that right? Yeah, 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 yeah. So a lot of them, they kind of look at it and go, oh, well, it can't be, a, it can't be true because it, it can't be a dinosaur. But I think when, you, when we look at it now, I think a lot of people, um, and I've got an episode coming up about Champ, actually, a new That's one. Awesome. They'll be out next month uh, with Kate Elizabeth, who is is out every day, near enough on on Lake Champlain, yeah. with her sonar and her radar and her cameras checking out things. So um, it's it's very interesting for me when you're dealing with places like that. It's like Ogopogo in, in you know in Lake Okanagan and sure. Canada and 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 some of the other ones in in the states because the bodies of water over there are, are so massive. I would not be surprised at all that there's something weird, wherever it is, Ian, whether it's some kind of weird giant eel or some kind of mammal that's adapted to, to live in freshwater or or it's some kind of creature that has an ability to be able to, like, you know, as, as I've said on with a few guests, you know, 
eels can switch between fresh and salt water you know so can bull sharks so it's it's not like they're talking about something that doesn't happen it, it does happen and it you know it happens with with great regularity bull sharks are are a prime example of a of, you know of an extremely fearsome predator that are quite happy in fresh or salt water unfortunately for us um so it's it's interesting that when we look at it now how the the, the kind of conversation about lake monsters has moved from remnant dinosaurs to undiscovered species of maybe a, a, a seal or an eel or, or some other type of long neck fish or a pinniped that we maybe have never come across because at the end of the day we we sometimes think wrongly that we especially when it comes to the water and the seas that we know everything and oh. you know it's it's a cliched fact but we probably know more about the moon than we do about the bottom of the ocean and yeah. You know, things still turn up in the sea, and we're like, "What the hell is this? Yeah. Where's this come from?" Yeah. Um, you know, the mega mouth shark is a shark is a prime example of you know an accidental discovery. Yeah. Um, giant squids that have been proved to be of enormous size, um, and yet they're very rarely seen. It's 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 a whole different world down there. So, if anything's going to be discovered, I think. <clears throat> it's going to be underneath the waves. I think anything strange, I would not be surprised if something like that gets found or something gets accidentally spotted. So whenever I see these kind of crazy stories from that, I'm very, I probably look at those with a more balanced eye than any other kind of monster report, Ian, I think, because there's so much potential for, for an underwater, an undiscovered underwater creature. And I've done really well there and not mentioned coelacanths. So I'll leave it there. <laughs> I like it. I like it. That's a perfect, uh, that's a perfect time. What we'll do is we'll take a, uh, we'll take a little pause for the cause. We'll take a little break and we'll come back. We're going to talk about, uh, we're going to talk about my favorite subject for sure. That is the big hairy man um, in the woods. So we'll take a little break and we'll be right back. Welcome back to Dynamo's Dozen. Um, of course, I am still here with my man, um, the mysteries and monsters guy himself, Paul Bestoff. And we were talking about, um, we've obviously been talking about lake monsters and UFOs, but anyone that knows me knows that one of my favorite subjects, because it, I, I just find it the most intriguing, is of course Sasquatch and Bigfoot. And that's mm. kind of how I came across your podcast, actually, because, you know, I like listening to different, um, to different perspectives and Sometimes when you hear some of the, uh, some of the, I suppose, you know, real life stories of encounters and stuff like that, it's kind of when you hear one or two, you kind of heard them all kind of thing, unless you get one really great one, you know, mm -hmm. and like I saw something on the road, but I'm not sure what it was. Um, but you, um, you have had some great guests on your show and obviously got to learn a lot about the, about the subject. So yeah. is there any, any particular ones that kind of stand out to you or I suppose let's let's start off with the famous one Paddy of course yes which I've really got into and, <laughs> and you know the more and more uh, I used to be like you I used to sit on the fence the more and more I look at that and you know the logic behind it and for the time period you're like yes these guys were out looking for it but mm. good lord when yeah. today's technology shows you that this is a creature standing over eight foot you know, mm. because they've done the whole the distance and stuff. A great guy is um, 
Tinker Tunker on YouTube. Yes. You know I mean? yeah, yeah, brilliant channel. He's an amazing, amazing mind for somebody we should probably both get on our show at some point. Um, yeah. Because he looks at the logic behind it, he measures it up and matches it to something, you know. Um, mm. Now, because so many people have gone out to where Paddy was spotted, we know yeah. kind of the scales and whatnot. Yeah. Um, I mean, this if this wasn't the guy that proclaimed that he was in the suit at five foot eight, that's that's for sure. <laughs> Bob Hieronymus. Uh, in yeah. probably the best, in probably the best non-CGI suit at a time where you had these guys had fuck all money, let's be real. Yeah. Um, yeah. Talk to me a little bit about that from your, your perspective. Well, one of my other great loves is B movies, Ian. Oh, me so, too. I, you, you, dude, you're talking Mr. <laughs> horror. Like, I have a horror channel yeah. where I just watch B, C, yeah. D, and Z list movies. <laughs> oh, you'll do for me then, my friend. I yes. watch many of many, many of many of those, and I'm, I'm, you know, child of the '80s, so that's you know, that me was too. my weekends. So, I, I know enough about '50s and '60s monster films to know that that's not a suit, because yeah. if it was, it 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 would have been. Whoever made that suit would have been made for life. Oh. Absolutely would have been set for life. And I think this constant thing of people who say, well, it's a suit. I think they know absolutely nothing about the film industry at that time. Because yeah, Mr. Remember, Savini would have been out of a job, right? <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, a prime example of that is, obviously, as I say, my love of B-movies. Tom Savini's first film as a special effects artist is a film called Octoman. Yes, Yes. Which was made in 1974. Yeah. And if you see that, if you think that's anything other than a rubber suit, you know, seven, six year, seven years after, after Patty, with a guy working on a film who's become one of the, you know, the great special effects artists of the modern era. Yeah. For, for somebody else to have been able to cre allegedly create this wonderful suit seven years before that. And I've always said as well, you know, the year after Planet of the Apes came out, that was a major motion picture. And, yeah. you know, that's nice clearly Rod, Roddy McDowell in a mask, yeah. you know? Yeah, there's, no, there's nothing, there's nothing, you know, amazingly groundbreaking about that. And I know Arthur C. Clarke many years ago once said, well, you know, we did it on 2001 AD. If you look at 2001 and you look at Patty, because I think that's 1968 as well, the monkeys at the beginning of 2001. It is, yeah. They're clearly, they're clearly people in suits. Yeah. You know, it, it looks absolutely nothing like it. And once again... You know, that's a Stanley Kubrick picture. That's a, a film with a big budget. And they can't even come close to what Patson and Gimlin filmed. Um, yeah, I mean... You know, like you say. It's, it, there's no muscle definition. There's no kind of... You know what I mean? As you say, it's a mask. But when you're talking about the scale here, you're talking about a head. I know they came yeah. up with some ridiculous... Theory. The theories of trying to disprove it actually sound more ridiculous than the ones that, that don't. Yeah. Because it's a football helmet with a full body suit fake fake breasts then hanging down you know who taught to make it a woman you know what i mean well exactly um, that's always been a and, good point for me yeah but in particular the way the arms swing in a natural movement and then the length down to the knee again think yeah. of conquer this is what really made me kind of look at it and go whoa but then the way the the, the feet lift you know because it's like the uh the the, the the toys are longer you yeah. know than than the calves which mm -hmm. they are on us as well but they're an extremely long and, and it's the way the feet move up in a straight position, you know, and yeah. that, that kind of talks about it's that. It's the fluidity of it all as well, Ian, you know? It's just too fluid. It, it's too fluid. It can't be, 
you know, even if it is somebody in a suit, that they would have to be wearing prosthetic enhancements. Sure. And there's no way you could walk like that. And and at the end of the day as well, the clip is in in its essence. I know lots of people have tried to make out that there's other things going on <coughs> in the background, and I, you know, I've never really prescribed to any of that. No, me neither. It's quite it's quite a mundane clip. You know, it's just something walking. Yeah. It's not going. It's not running about. It's not throwing stuff at them. It's just something clearly just getting away, looking over its shoulder, and then it's gone. You know, and I remember seeing that when I was like eight or nine, and that changed my life because I, you know, because that was my first real introduction to to Bigfoot. Because obviously, the only man creature I was aware of was the Yeti. So yeah. I was always obsessed with with the stories of these strange creatures running about the Himalayas and. And, and what was going on there. And, and my and, favorite and, rendition of it, of course, was the great hammer horror with, uh, with, with, um, Oh, Peter Cushing. Peter Cushing. Yeah. yeah it's amazing. a cracking film, right? It still amazing stands film, up. The abominable yeah. snowman. Brilliant yeah. film. Amazing. film. Really. Yeah. And a very interesting take that they're quite kind of sort of psychic spiritual. And they look a bit like, um, they look more like what you would consider like an elf or a gnome. They yeah, just yeah, happened yeah. to be sort of nine foot tall. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was incredible. But I mean, like talking about stuff then that, you know, people now talk about as being a possible credible thing. Another thing to, to mention as well for people mm. that don't really know much about the Patterson Gimlin film um, mm. that may have just known what we're talking about. This was 100% in the depths of the woods, like, you know, because people are. Yeah. People have had to trek big time to get that oh. far in. So, like, yeah, Buff Creek, have, yeah, yeah. Like, some people have literally got lost there, and you know, mm -hmm. to, to to get to that particular spot. So, you're talking about lugging all of this equipment as well on horseback. Yep, yep, it's, yep. It's you don't rock up in a Honda Civic, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like you know, you could you could kind of draw parallels to what what's happened with Ron Moorhead because Ron's the same. Where where Let's his talk camp about was. him? Yeah, yeah, you know. Um, that's in the middle of nowhere. You can only get there on horseback and then you'll get so near to the camp that you then have to dismount and lead your horses in. Yeah. So, I mean, I've heard people say that, you know, somebody in that team took a, I mean, this is the thing you were about. It's 1972, right? So basically Crazy. we're expecting somebody's taken a, a great big lug in sound recorder or speakers or, or whatever, you know, we're not talking these days where you can just take a, you know, a, an MP3 player in and it can fit in the palm of your hand in, you know, you'd be looking, yeah. you know, you look at what Led Zeppelin used to have to use to try and make anybody at the back hear them. Never mind. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, put a speaker in the middle of the middle of nowhere. Cause unless, and, and that, unless a little side note, unless you were Bruce Dickinson and you could have sang without an amplifier. <laughs> Without a yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Very true. Very true. So you never know. I mean, so when once again, I think often we look for modern solutions to older problems, and it doesn't stack up. No, because you know, like you say about, I mean, Bluff Creek now is hard to get to. It's not easy. It's a real trek. Um, and I, I know, think I think it's like an eight-hour trek or something like that. If you yeah. maybe more, I'm not yeah. sure. I could be wrong. And it's one of those things because I think once again because we presume that we can get anywhere you look at um, i mean one of my favorite bigfoot researchers out there is a, is a gentleman called justin chernopleski who runs mountain beast mysteries oh yes and um, and he does some wonderful documentaries he's done about four or five he's, he's in he lives in canada send me a just, link send me a link to i that. will please i will it's amazing he's he's done for i kind of 
uh, stumbled across him about four or five years ago, um, and his first one's called Expedition Sasquatch. Um, and he goes into the wilds of Canada. And even if even if you are watching it as a, as a lover of Bigfoot, Ian, looking at the scenery and the locations, it's you just think, well, there's nothing here, yeah. anywhere around it. So... I think often people go, oh, well, it's, you know, it's California. think, oh, it's California. Oh, well, everything's next to Los Angeles or San Francisco. And it's, you know, California is enormous. It's huge. Anyway, it's it's LA is a small city. I mean, you go on Google Maps and you hover yeah. over all of it and you see, literally, you can barely see the shape of the cities compared to the yeah. woods that surrounds it. Yeah. You know, the massive mountain ranges, enormous, you know, hundreds and hundreds of miles of forest. It's not all cities and, and, and civilization. You know, you don't have to go far in, in Cali to be in the, in, in the wildlife, you know? I mean, this is, this is one of those things that you... And I mean, the other aspect of all this is, you know, if we're expecting that people are running about in the woods in suits, right? Well, there's bears there. So, yeah. you know, if, if I'm anywhere where there's bears in, I, the last thing I want to be dressed as is a, is a giant ape man. With, with plastic feet on. Because there's no, you know, I'm not getting away from a bear without wearing a silly suit. Never mind. <laughs> Dressed up as a, as a Bigfoot running about. So it's, it's still perplexing. And it's one of those things as well that I think often when people come to the subject, it a lot of people tend to use it as a jumping off point. Say, oh, well, I think it's fake. I know it's fake. I can see, you know, I've seen people say they can see belts on it. I've seen people say, oh, I can see the zip. I mean, I've watched that film far more than a normal person should have. Me too. Yeah. Ian. And I've there's nothing like that going on. Yeah. You know, it's it's. It, so, I mean, you, you can see if you really look properly and not just with the naked eye, you can see the mm. ass muscles move. You can yeah, see. Of course, you, you can. can see muscle movement. I mean, it's yeah. the most perplexing suit I've ever seen, and yeah. still can't be known today without seeing Absolutely. If that's the case. Yeah, I've never seen a Bigfoot film ever where anything comes close to it. Even no. now, you know. Yeah. Well, you know, when you look at things like Willow Creek, Creek and exists. Yes. Even, you know. Yes. So let's let's talk a little bit about my buddy, and he is uh, has become a bit of a friend of mine, um, Mr. Todd Standen. You've sure yes. I'm sure you've seen Discovering Bigfoot. Um, yeah. One thing that people need to re remember when you go into this, when you're looking at the the the, the camera footage, um, one in particular, you'll actually see like a mosquito going on on the nose of one of these mm. and if you go really closely and zoom in you'll see it drains like a drop of blood mm. <clears throat> which makes me go that's you know unless you're a guy in the canadian wilderness with some uh, some amazingly skilled cgi skills to, to kind of put mm. that together that's up there so i think that's why a lot of people aren't kind of sure on todd standing mm. because he's so He's quite an introvert and quite a charismatic guy. But one thing, his credentials are there. Um, he goes hiking into these, he goes deep into these into these woods and brings people out and guarantees yeah. people that you'll see a Sasquatch at some point. And, and a lot of people say they have with, with, with him. So um, what did you, I mean, what did you, what did you think of some of the, <laughs> some of this honest opinion? He's the most controversial person in modern Bigfoot, Tim. Yep. No doubt about it. 50-50, it's split, no doubt. It? Yeah. I mean, I used to think it was all nonsense. Mm. And my, my opinion Me has, too. Changed, has changed slightly, um, primarily because um, he did, um, Les Stroud, Survivor Man, um, did an eight-part series 
uh, a couple of years ago looking for Bigfoot. And it's brilliant. I've been really looking good. to see that actually. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'll send you a link later. I'll put it on this list of stuff I'm going to send you. My man. Um, <laughs> And I was really, because Les is one of those people, you know, he's 100% down the middle. Legit. Absolutely. I mean, he's, a, he's an incredible person with what he can do in the wilderness. You know what I mean? You could drop him anywhere and he'd survive. And yeah. um, he's working with Todd Standing in this. So at that point, I'm thinking, well, if Les Stroud thinks he's credible, what am I missing? Yeah. Um, you know, and I'm not going to sit here in a position and say, well, I can categorically tell you it's nonsense. Because at the end of the day, I've never seen one. I can't tell you what they look like. Me neither. They might look like that, you know? Um, I think it's one of those things that, as with anything, Ian, there have been notable people over the years. Paul Freeman is probably a really good older example of this. Now, Paul Freeman was a was a guy who had an experience, I think, late 70s, and it changed his life. But he then became one of those people that whenever he took a camera out with him, he'd catch footage. He would always find footprints. He would, he, he could guarantee you Bigfoot all the time. And if you go on YouTube and you can see some of Paul Freeman's footage from the nineties, the sort of add that to the list. <laughs> yeah. The birth of the, uh, of, of the portable video camera that didn't weigh a ton, you know what I mean? Yeah. And Freeman was very similar in the way that he was viewed that some people thought he was the Messiah in the world of Bigfoot. And a lot of people thought it was all fakery and nonsense. But there is this other aspect of Freeman that, I mean, I've spoken to, to some of the most notable modern cryptozoologists. A lot of people believe that Freeman did have these experiences when he first started, but became so frustrated that he couldn't prove to people ah. what he'd seen was real. Yeah. He decided to perform what had happened. Um, and as you know, as, as you will discover, the more you get into Bigfoot, and the more characters pop up. Ivan Marks is another one who originally started as a as a you know a dyed in the wool investigator and went all the way into you know full on hoaxery. Um, so it's it's very interesting because you can mention Todd's name and it will instantly give you an indication of of a person's belief in him and his alleged evidence. Because um, I mean. Some of it, I'm, I'm like, really? I mean, but it, I suppose that's that's the thing. Like I say, you know, I'm not wanting to sit on the fence. I've seen a lot of it I'm not convinced with. However, I've seen enough that makes me think, I think there's more to this than meets the eye. Yeah, I mean, uh, he tells a great story of, of obviously mm -hmm. an Irish girl, you know, getting picked up by the kind of really gnarly looking guy you see at the end, kind of creeping out. Yeah. And um, and she sounds like a very very credible, you know, source. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's kind of I'm the same. And like I say, you look at something like a mosquito taking blood out of this supposed mask, and you're going, yeah, well, this like, come on, you know, you got to give me something better to debunk that than yeah, it's a guy in a mask. And and listen, I've seen the the kind of the Google images of like people meshing Todd Standen's face into the, into the, I mean, that looks like yes. a crock of shit to me, you know? And, and again, Tinker Tunker, the guy that I kind of really kind of do believe is credible at putting this stuff together has said, well, this has got to be one huge mask. And automatically he debunked it saying that it was Todd Standen because the, the width of the face would have been way too wide to, for the eyes to match yeah. up. Little things that yeah. we don't think of. Um, yeah. And if you look at the, he calls him Jake, the really hairy looking guy. Yeah. 
Yes. <laughs> that is eerily looks like Paddy, if you kind of put the two mm. of them close together. Do you know what I mean? Mm. The kind of similar kind of face, the way it's it, eerily like uh, like mm. Paddy. So um, we're going to have a part two and three with Todd on this as well. And mm. uh, I, I plan to go to Calgary when when all this dies down as well. Um, and yeah. uh, myself and my better half will be, uh, well, we'll be putting it to the test, basically. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I yeah. Better get in shape for it, though. <laughs> yes, yeah. That guy likes picking those... up Irish people on in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's one of those things. Ian. At, at the end of the day, I mean, he might have got the best evidence ever, and people just, as with anything, the one of the biggest problems about this is, I mean, I've got to know a lot of people who like to work in a collaborative manner. You know, the guys at the Olympic Project and Project Zoo Book, who seem to be just pulling everybody of a of a real you know level of scientific endeavor together to to prove what's going on and um, and it may be the fact that you know for some people it's too much about the person rather than the actual phenomenon there you go and there and then then that's not what we're dis- that's not what we're here to discuss we're discussing the evidence not the personality and i think you know, and he's not the you know he's not the only person that wants to prove the existence of Bigfoot. There are hundreds of people that want to be that person, and you could say that about anything in the world of the weird, be it UFOs, ghosts, poltergeists, Nessie. Every, there's always somebody who wants to be that person, and if if not, then why are you searching for it? You're not doing it for the for the good of mankind. You, with the greatest respect, if you can prove any of those phenomena without a shadow of a doubt. You have made yourself a millionaire overnight. Easy oh, peasy. Oh, and that's listen, that's that's a given. You know what I mean? That is a given. Um, that's why you go on shows. That's I mean, you and me would jump at the opportunity. Let's be real. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. If 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 we thought we'd be that guy. Um let's talk a little bit about um I know Ron Moorhead is obviously mutual friend now, and we've um one of the things that he talked about on the great um podcast as well that I don't mind plugging um Sasquatch Chronicles. Yeah. Um Wes has some great guests on. Mm-hmm. Um he's he's obviously big time now at this stage so much so that uh you'd never write back Wes but um <laughs> calling you out motherfucker. <laughs> um no I'm kidding I'm kidding of course um but Wes has some great guys and one of one of the great stories that um Ron Moorhead was particularly intrigued by was the English lady that was over there on the beach, which um, are you familiar with the story? I'm not aware of this story at all. Okay. No. Yeah. Ron, Ron brought it to my attention and it was funny. I'd actually been listening to that episode about a week or two beforehand. It was an English mm. lady over on holidays. I believe it was in California. She was on the beach um, kind of, they were in the woods, they were trekking, you know, but she yeah. picked up her camera to, you know, to take photos. She was just sitting on the beach and basically looked up and saw two or three of these creatures, basically. Um, mm. And it was more of a lake, I believe, like a lake beach rather than a, yeah. you know, than an actual beach. It wasn't like people yeah. assume that you're talking about Venice Beach here or something, you know, like you said. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the Americans call these beaches. I don't tend to call them beaches. I'm just like, it's a lake. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah, okay, there's sand and all, but it's still a lake. Um, so apparently she saw this but this thing started acting really aggressive with her she dropped her camera absolutely fearing for her life anyone that listens to the intro of wes's uh, sasquatch chronicles 
we'll hear this lady talking and, and the actual genuine fear in her in her voice and what she's describing. Mm. And apparently they were making that sound that Ron Moorhead, uh, of course, yeah. got on, on audio. Um, and they were arguing with each other. And apparently this thing was, you know, in full exposure. I mean, they are, they don't wear clothes, you know? No. Um, <laughs> and this, this male apparently was really, you know, had always, you know, directed at this woman and wanted to make her fearful. Um, but it's a really, really interesting, um, really, really interesting story. I'd encourage anyone to go and check it out. I don't know the lady's name. I know Ron wants to wants to do something with her um, mm. and get her story out there. But uh, so many of these encounters, isn't there, that you kind of yeah. go, wow, this is, you know, these people can't all be lying and be great actors. Well, well this, is the, this is one of the aspects of it all, Ian, that I've often considered that, Let's pretend that everybody is making it up, right? Let's be cynical. Yeah. Yeah. What on on earth is going on? Because, you know, this isn't something that's happening in California. You know, it's going on in Montana, in Nebraska, in Missouri, in uh, Massachusetts, New England, New New Hampshire, New York State, Arkansas, Arizona. You know, this is happening all across, you know, British Columbia, Ottawa, it, 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 it's occurring all across Alberta, North America. Yeah. yeah, you know. So if people are not seeing, misidentifying things, then what on earth is going on? Because even that, even if you look at it really cynically, that's a really culturally interesting aspect of it because sure. something must be going on. And if if that's the case, then... What what on earth is that about? Because he, even if it isn't all true, which you know, I'm, as I said, I do have moments of doubt. But I am a died in the wool believer. I think, as with anything in the modern era, I think there's a lot of nonsense out there. Yeah. Um. Sadly, but there is with any kind of weird phenomenon. Doesn't matter what we're talking about. Bigfoot is a what we're talking about now. But like you say, when I hear a witness talking about their experience and they have a an extreme emotional response to it that gives it a different level and i've often said on my show when i've interviewed people my favorite witnesses are the experienced outdoorsmen and women who go out there have grown up in the woods you know rural locations 40 miles from anywhere live off the land they have an experience they'll never go in the woods again or they, 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 they change their hunting. They don't go in alone anymore, or they stop going to a specific location because something has happened to them that has had such an, an emotional response in them that they cannot get past that. And I, I often say it's, it's, it's clearly some form of PTSD that these people have been so traumatized, primarily because, you know, you're looking at a, an eight-foot biped, but I think you're also looking at something that, Every the vast majority of normal people in the world tell you cannot and does not exist. But if you see it, then you know that everything anybody tells you is wrong. Yeah. And that's happened so many times over the course mm. of history, right? You know yeah. what I mean? Um, it's it's like somebody who's gone through some sort of major pro- trauma that like, oh, well, bad people don't exist. But you, you tell that to somebody who's been hurt, you know, yeah. by somebody it very much exists you know i know it's probably a bad example but 
you cannot tell somebody that has lived through an experience that oh you'll be okay you know it, it, get, get over it, it. Or, get over it that's that's the best one yeah like mm. it's, it's it's physically impossible <laughs> yeah you know? absolutely um i suppose we close out do you have any favorite bigfoot story that people may or may not know about or anything um well kind of i kind of discovered this one by accident um there's there's a there's a a brilliant book that's just been re-released which was kind of lost um from the 1970s and the the title escapes me now something to do with the prairie mystery on the prairie it's by a police officer called keith wolverton anyway and it's it's basically is it mystery on the prairie it'll come to me anyway um he was basically involved in a spate of cattle mutilations that were going off in montana in the 1970s and ended up setting up a task force but as this strange situation was developing he started to get reports of bigfoot turning up and one of the strangest bigfoot stories i've ever heard was two girls were outside of a farm in montana and it was at night and they 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 were they were outside playing and they saw this silhouette of this sort of kids yeah yeah like 12 13 teenagers sure. yeah yeah um, hope you, as, as it will become self-explanatory you would hope anyway i'm sure they're like early teens anyway yeah. so they see this hulking figure and it starts to come towards them and they realize it's what they describe as a seven and a half foot hairy biped creature so one of the girls i think she she either had a gun or she runs into the house to get a gun and fires at it like to, as a warning shot and the creature theatrically throws itself to the floor and starts to crawl going like that along and then it just pulls itself back up and the girls just go ah! turn tail and run off holy shit mystery stalks the prairie that's what it's called keith yeah. wolverton um so it, 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 it's a book that I've been told about because, like I say, he started off investigating cattle mutilations in Montana as a, as a sheriff as well. You know, he's not just a, a, a normal copper and he got set up with a proper task force and they were finding real evidence that something odd was going on. And then all these Bigfoot stories started coming in as well. Brilliant. There's, it, it, like you, like UFOs, it's kind of, there's too many stories, isn't there, worldwide <laughs> to... Yeah, kind of just put it down as you know in people's heads. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's um, yeah, it's the same with the Yowie in Australia. You know? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, the Yowie is one of my favourite cryptids. Anyway, I love him. Uh, it's not I, something well, I'm then. familiar with either. So again, add it to the list. It's uh, I love. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a. I'll I'll send you a link. There's a brilliant channel. The the, the key Yowie researcher in the world is a gentleman called Dean Harrison. Um, who's been out there for for thirty years, and he was was uh, I think he's from Queensland originally in Australia. Was out walking, backpacking, having a nice day. Had a terrifying encounter, changed his life. He spent the best part of thirty years trying to prove that they're real. Wow, wow. So well, look, uh, yeah, the Yowies are very interesting. Anyway, but I'll, I'll I'll add that to the list of things to keep you up at night, my friend. For sure, and that's that's what <laughs> I like. Um, well, look, I think that's about all we have time for today. Um, Paul, I'd, I'd love you to come back on at some point. Um, oh, I'd be so happy to do so. Thank you. So many things we could talk about. To be fair, um, 
But uh, before we go, I always like to uh, hand the floor to my guests and tell people where they can find you and what you've got going on. Plug whatever you need to plug, my friend. Thank you. Uh, well, you can find me on where any you find podcasts. Just look for Mysteries and Monsters. Uh, the website is mysteriesandmonsters.com. You can find links to the show there. You can also find Mysteries and Monsters across all social media platforms. Um, I've decided to try and fit as many episodes as I could into October, Ian. So um, I'm back to normal of one a week from November onwards, but I've got some, some brilliant guests returning. I've got uh, Paul Sinclair is returning to join me on my 150th episode because I was fortunate enough to, to spend my birthday UFO spotting with him awesome. this year. Um, so that was nice out on the East Coast. David Did you see Weatherly's back. Unfortunately, we didn't. I was oh. gutted. But typically, somebody else went the week after and they they filmed something. But I mean, it was just nice to be there and and be where it, all this weird stuff goes off. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So showed us a few things and showed us their kit and pointed out why you know it's not just lights and it's not just ships and it's not lighthouses. So it was very interesting. Awesome. Um, got him. David Weatherly's coming back. I've got an episode coming up about Champ. Chad Lewis is coming back talking about strange lumberjack legends of the 19th century featuring some weird creatures such as the jackalope and stuff. Um, and we've hopefully got another Roswell episode coming up down the line as well. So uh, something for everybody, I hope. Absolutely. And of course, you've got a, a Patreon channel as well. Yeah, yeah. You can uh, support the show on Patreon. You get early early episode releases they're all ad free as well and uh, now i've got through working through everything and moving house uh, there will also be exclusive patreon bonus episodes looking at some strange paranormal archive reports from newspapers going back 200 years awesome awesome listen you're a gentleman it's been an absolute pleasure um as i said for sure we'll have you on again and i do uh, i do implore anybody that has uh, has enjoyed today's show to go and check out and mysteries and monsters as i said anywhere that you listen to your favorite podcasts and uh until next time paul been an absolute no. pleasure thank you thank you for your time and all the very best to you and your listeners it's been a real pleasure so uh, once again thank you very much for inviting me i've really enjoyed myself and same to you sir <laughs>